0: Thanks for downloading this IMSA radio podcast from the International Motorsports Association and Radio Show Limited.
1: It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced, or used in any form without permission. The European Le Mans Series on RadioLeMans.com. Well, hello everybody and welcome along to our special programme looking back at the 2015 European Le Mans series. I'm John Heindorf, Uh, you're listening to RadioLe Mans.com and it seems only yesterday that the season got underway at Silverstone on the WEC uh, support programme and yet and yet so much has gone on. You'll be delighted to know it's not just me waffling on about this tonight. In fact, uh, there's not very much for me to say this evening. I'm going to leave it to two far better positioned to speak about this championship and the performance within it. Performance within it. Uh, and we'll start by saying hello to Johnny Palmer, our lead commentator for TV and radio for the European Le Mans series. Hello, Johnny a
0: very good evening john
1: uh, this uh, it's it's i mean it's been a good season this year you've seen all of it and it's it's cracked along at a pace hasn't it uh,
0: very much so yeah i think even from the off at silverstone i've, I've caught up with that race again today to refresh my memories you say it feels like yesterday but so much happened just in that one race in isolation there was contact that maybe we didn't want to see but there was superb racing as well there were safety cars and you know, at one point, Greaves seemed to have it in the bag, and then it took a fantastic drive from John Lancaster to come past two uh, of his opponents that he faced all year, really. There was a little bit of contention, I suppose, with that contact with Tristan Comedy, but it was looked at again by the stewards and judged to be a legitimate win. And, and Greaves were there or thereabouts throughout, but I created a matrix for the the final couple of rounds, and it was chopping and changing virtually every couple of laps.
1: And uh, also reviewing the 2015 ELMS season will be Graham Goodwin. Hello, Graham.
2: Good evening, everybody.
1: And the season, the series itself, we do see this every year when we look back on the ELMS, but the, see, the series is going from strength to strength. Now, we'll need to talk about where it's going next year because there's going to be some changes, but it's settled in to a really lovely pattern in the last couple of seasons, hasn't it, Graham? with the... Uh, I think we're all getting used to the slightly longer races. We've all got used to the calendar. Now, as I say, there's going to be a few changes uh, next year to that. But Silverstone, Imola, Red Bull Ring, Le Castellet, Paul Ricard and Estoril to finish off. That's, you know, start in April, finish in October. That's quite a traditional looking calendar at some great circuits. It's
2: it's a great calendar. It's a great series now, and it's barely you, know, you barely believe it's just a few short years since those few poor souls that trudged along to Donington Park for what proved to be effectively the last uh, a European Le Mans Series race under Patrick Peters' company, um, seeing you know not much more than a dozen cars on the grid, and you know uh, the GTE class with a single car. Uh, it to, to see what we've got now and the entertainment, I know Johnny and I are eager to kind of talk about throughout the year, it's barely believable. And it really is, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again, it's the biggest bargain uh, for competitors in world endurance racing. And uh, long may that continue. I think we're going to go from strength to strength.
1: Yeah, can't disagree with that. At the end of the programme, gentlemen, I will be asking you for your drivers of the year in both GT and prototype categories and also for what you judge to be the best overall performance of the year Uh, and that could be a number of things that could be a single stint from a driver it could be a particular race performance uh, from a team or an overall uh, for the season of a, a team or someone who hasn't fit into your best driver category so think on that if you will as We start to look in more detail and we, I think, should start talking about the classes, really. Um, We'll leave the sharp end of the field to the end uh, of this. So let's go into the GTC. Effectively, GT3 standings now. Uh, We'll straight away say that this category won't be there next year Johnny that's going to be broken off into its own championship but it's done all right and of the top five this year four of the top five contested all of the races but only one of them the final Uh, championship winners actually scored points in all five of the events, but first a thought about the GTC itself, the GT, effectively this is a GT3, FIA GT3 category, uh, and and what it's added to the championship and and is it the right time for it to move on into its own championship?
0: Well, I think only time will tell on that, you know, we, we were in a difficult position as far as the European Le Mans series was concerned entirely, as Graham points out in 2012, and now look at it you know four years on from that four seasons on from that um for the main part we only had five cars and were it not for af Corser, it would only have been a two-car lineup so it's been tricky it's always been close racing within that Uh, championship decided more or less prior to the last round but a few of them kind of dipping their toes into the water particularly tf sport at the end of the season and speaking to tom ferry he's very interested to get involved next year so there is interest as far as uh, what this new thing is uh, going to be called, the Michelin GT3 Le Mans Cup, which will be hour-long races. And I think to put GT3 in the spotlight for their own races on the same weekend as the European Le Mans Series should be positive. And Pierre Fillon, uh, Gerard Neveu, confident of a 20-car line-up next year. Graham GTC
1: in the American Le Mans Series, albeit, albeit with cup cars, provided an absolute lifeline and a stepping stone ...to the season in the same way as LMPC did as well. Has GT3, or GTC, albeit for the GT3 cars, has that done a similar job in the last couple of seasons for the ELMS?
2: It's certainly bolstered numbers and we've had some great competition out of it as well. Um, It has probably more than most series been a bit of a Ferrari fest... Um, and actually, you know, it's good to see that, uh, that this year, amongst the five that Johnny quite correctly mentions as the full season entrants, we've had a bit of variety, um, you know, including the championship winning car this year. But uh, I think if they were going to do it, and it's a sort of an obvious move for the ACO to uh, get stuck into uh, a GT3 only series, if they're going to do it, there's no good or bad time to do it. Now is is as good sum as any, and uh, and obviously that uh, that new championship will include the LMP3 cars. that we'll go on to talk about a little later in the Le Mans round mm. only, but uh, if they say they can get twenty cars, uh, well, let's wait and see. Uh, I hope they're right. I think it would be uh, an, an ideal uh, adjunct to the to the main events alongside the the Renault events we're going to see on the 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 the, um, the program for the rest of the, for the for the twenty sixth season, and I would guess beyond. Uh, I think there's reason to be perhaps a little bit concerned about something of a kind of a a GT3 war uh, starting to kind of emerge. There's not a huge amount of organisational love lost between the ACO and SRO, but uh, I think as uh, one person in the paddock, and by the way, not an organiser, but a team owner, said to me, actually, it's no bad thing that SRO, SRO are reminded that they don't have the monopoly On GT3. Yeah. Uh, So I think that's probably right. I think it's probably quite healthy. What it might inject is a bit of common sense in terms of the way in which these things are put together and funded and i'm thinking particularly cost capping in terms of not just what the teams are spending on their cars but what they're spending on actually entering championships Mm -hmm. i think that's a thing that could actually come forward and make a massive difference in sports going gt racing is that organizers when competition comes to play you can do two things or one You can do it better and think about the cost that you're actually incurring on the competitor or just try and do do it better and leave the cost where they are. My guess is whoever comes out the winner here is going to be doing both. Yeah, that's a fair point. Well made. GDC then, the championship,
1: uh, 20 points in the end, Johnny, the Gap between TDS and their BMW Z4 and the following horde of AF Corsa Ferraris. One thing that strikes me, just looking at the results now, far less, in this category particularly, far less swapping and changing of drivers throughout the year. Pretty much everybody stayed with the cars in those five uh, entries that we had for the full full season. But you've got to say the all-French crew of uh, Eric Demont, Dino Lunardi and Franck Pereira, Did a pretty good job, only once off the podium, 101 points uh, to 81 for Francesco Castellacci and Stuart Hall in second place. And uh, then only 60 points for Francesco Guedes and Mads Rasmussen. Both of those guys had a a retirement, so a non-score. They had good results, they had consistent results, a, a fair result at the end of the day for TDS.
0: Yeah, very much so. I think the key to a five-race season is scoring in all five races, and it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have to be on the podium each time. It's always going to be tough, I think, in a BMW Z4 at Imola because that turned into, as quite rightly you would have expected, a Ferrari track, and, uh, yeah, the BMW just hung on to the coattails of the three AF Corsa Ferraris, but uh, no retirements, two wins, two second places, and I think going into that final round at Estoril, the three Frenchmen were reasonably confident that a a top five finish would just about do it for them. And speaking to Stuart Hall ahead of that race, you know, he said we've had a we've had a half decent season. We've had a couple of wins, but just not quite performed at Silverstone. Unfortunately, they're going to be ruined that. Now we go into next year a six race championship, yes. and you may be able to afford a retirement within that. Uh, Is that a good or a bad thing? I'm not quite sure. But it's good to have an extra four hours of racing, certainly.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. And that's a fair point, Graham, isn't it? You know, when there's only five races, 20 hours of racing, a non-finish at the start of the season is exactly what you don't want for Stuart Hall and Francesco Castellacci. Two wins, a second and a fourth position. And that retirement, really, up against a what a a second position at the end of the season
2: for the guys that won the championship. There's the difference right there. Uh, Absolutely right. You literally cannot afford to stumble. And Mm -hmm. you know, for me, I think it's fair to say straight up front. I think the performance by TDS in GTC, albeit against pretty limited opposition, I thought was one of the standout performances of the year. I think the, the three guys did a great job. They kept their eye on the prize. Um, there's always a degree of racing luck that comes with that, but they kept the car out of trouble. They kept it. you know, more or less at the front of every race, only off the podium as you say, John, just the once. And you can't really grumble. You know, I can't really argue with a championship win and a five race championship by 20 points.
1: No, uh, and congratulations to all of those. Be interesting to see uh, where some of those teams turn up next year. Any any thoughts on that, Graham? About where whether these guys will continue with a GT3 car in the the new Michelin Cup or whether they will upgrade to a, a GTE or perhaps even a prototype and stay in the ELMS?
2: Well, I think the the, the one thing I'd say about this, is the one disappointing aspect to the, the Michelin GT3 Le Mans Cup is that it took the competitors by surprise. I think that's a game that the powers that be have got to learn to do differently. Um, you know, this is their money and it is their choice. And actually, I think being surprised at a race meeting Um, you know TF Sport I mean uh, Johnny's quite right so Tom Fray very keen and coming across the ACO family but he needed to be told by me that he couldn't enter next year Uh. that's pretty wrong as far as I'm concerned I think there's a lesson there to be learned um, about uh, making sure that your competitors and the, the potential future competitors are the first to hear what your proposals are. And for that matter, maybe feed into whether or not actually you're getting it right. Um, it's a revolutionary concept. but um, But that's the one disappointment here. Uh, I certainly think there's every reason to believe that uh, there's going to be interest in that uh, that challenge. I think in terms of TDS, will they be back in a Z4 GT3? My guess is not, uh, but I don't have anything more than that to offer on that front. Um, I just hope that we can find a way on the ladder for the absolute Legion of people with GT3 cars in Europe and beyond yeah. to come and find a way onto the endurance racing ladder. In answer, by the way, to the question I'm asked every single time, uh, whenever GT3 and GTC come up, come up, no, I don't think we're going to see GT3 uh, racing in the Le Mans 24 Hours anytime soon.
1: No, um, and there's plenty of good reasons for that. That's the danger, though. What Graham's just mentioned, Johnny, that is the danger, isn't it? And you've been in the paddock with these guys all year. They've invested in a GT3 car they are in an ACO Championship or have been this year with potentially the opportunity to win themselves an entry at Le Mans, albeit not with that same car. But that is lucrative. And the issue is going to be that there are plenty of other GT races around the world and championships or simply cherry-pick one-off races. And that could slightly backfire, could it not, on the powers that be... For this championship, I mean, is is the race on Saturday morning at Le Mans? Do you think, from t- speaking to the guys in the championship, enough to keep those GT3 runners and cars in that uh, in that championship, at least in, in the support category?
0: It's certainly a, a very nice carrot, isn't it, to uh, get get your car unleashed onto the full Le Mans track? And I know people like Tom Onslow Cole last year were just happy to do that in the Aston Martin supporting race on the. Saturday morning. As I would have been, yes. Uh, indeed, as I, everybody would have been, I think. Um, I, I think the ACO have actually done, up until this point, a decent job of uh, conversing with their competitors because, you know, that's part of the reason, part of the, the the success of the European Le Mans series is that they have talked to the drivers and the teams as to what they would like. We went from three hours to four hours. I think that was a big plus point and things like balance of performance as, as well. They keep their ear close to the ground and look to maybe adjust that where necessary but they have held one or two things back this year and we've had press conferences announced that we didn't see coming yes. at all and yeah maybe that is now to the detriment of this good relationship that they will have built up with the GTC runners, Tom Ferry are very interested and then all of a sudden told he can't be in the yes. full championship, yes. it's, going to be one or, it's going to be two <laughs> one hour races next year, oh really? Oh, that's kind uh, of what we're doing uh, in British GT already Yes, um, good point. So uh, yeah, it's difficult and they, that might come back to bite them, however you've got that brilliant mid-season race on the Saturday morning of Le Mans
1: yeah and that that might be a big enough draw in itself Uh, that was uh, Johnny Palmer I'm John Hyndorf Graham Goodwin editor of DailySportsCar.com, is with us as we look back on the 2015 European Le Mans series season we'll move to GTE now the full ACO GT class 10 cars uh throughout the season and eight of those full season entries six of them scoring points at every round and entries including uh ferrari bmw porsche and aston martin so the first thing to say johnny is a little more variety in terms of uh the machinery on shore and actually that's you know that's pretty good that's all the major gte manufacturers and people say it's difficult to get hold of gte cars the only people missing really from there that i can see is corvette
0: yes yeah sadly we didn't have a big american muscle car at any point during the season the aston stepping in just for esteril and again that was sort of a, an experiment i think uh, wondering whether they may do the next uh, next year's season certainly andrew howard calling maybe retirement on British GT running as the outgoing champion and very much interested in racing a GTE car on the European stage. So we'll see what happens there as far as Aston concerned. But it it was a Ferrari that was dominant. The BMW under another outgoing squad, Mark VDS, claiming they'll never race cars again. But they had a really strong end to the season with a second and a first place and ran it very close in the end after... Three fourth positions, so kind of weren't anywhere in the championship up until uh, the end of Ricard. And yeah, the, the Porsche had a good start to the season first win for Golf Racing UK. So the spread of success was pretty even across Ferrari, BMW, and Porsche.
1: Yeah, Ferrari taking uh, three victories. BMW won, and, uh, as Johnny rightly says, the Porsche winning uh, in Silverstone at the first one around. Pretty pretty solid competition, Graeme, to be honest. And, uh, again, you know, the, the point I said to Johnny, we often, you and I will often say, well, where are GTE cars? Where are the possibilities for people to go GTE racing if the factory won't sell cars? Well, clearly there are enough out there to make this interesting, There's a new set of regulations in the World Championship and in uh, IMSA uh, for next year in terms of the uh, in terms of GT or GTLM. Does that mean we might see some of the older cars making their way into this championship? And, And your thoughts just on the overall look of GTE in ELMS this year?
2: Uh, I think the answer is it's looking in rude health. It's not something we expected two years ago. No. I think I with you. This John, is the
1: class I thought would struggle. If I'm honest, oh yeah.
2: I mean, you know, to, to actually hear that we're getting close to uh, double figures entries in GTE two years ago, and then to replicate that again this year, getting close to it, and times hitting the, two, uh, the the two figure mark, um, I think it's been an extraordinary achievement. Uh, it's been an entry of high quality. I think there's every reason to expect we'll see a little bit more of the same. It's a great way for teams with their Pro-Am lineups to launch a potential campaign for an entry to Le Mans 24 Hours if they're prepared to stick with it for the next couple of years which I think exactly by the way Johnny was referring to Andrew Howard I think that's exactly what Andrew and the Beach Team Motorsport team will be doing they'll be uh, full season in 2016, I'm sure they will put an entry in with no, no great expectations of getting there this uh, in 16. But my guess is they would expect to be rewarded in 17. We've got some teams that have been around for some little while, the likes of JMW Motorsport had a kind of fr- quite fractured season this year. Um, you know, could have, would have, should have, uh, but didn't quite get there. Proton Competition with a high quality effort that stumbled a little because they didn't get the additional the monetary that that was predicated on. Um, But, you know, the top of the shop, um, I think we had a standout performance. And here's something actually is an example of what GTC can do, because with the AT racing team and with Formula Racing, there's two teams there that have graduated from GTC machinery in the European Le Mans series. And for me, um, well, Formula Racing, I thought were stunning throughout. Uh, they really surprised me this year, really surprised me. Um, you know, if we, we look at the, the kind of the top four in the, the championship, the 86 Golf Racing UK team just didn't quite put a championship run together, together. after that yeah. after that win. The 55 car, and that uh, is obviously, you know, to those who are familiar with the racing, it's, uh, it's uh, Duncan Caraman um Matt Griffin and Aaron Scott who I thought was was extraordinarily good at uh, at the Red Bull ring for instance but again there they just did not get a season's full of consistency together in the way that Formula Racing did I'll admit to taking a step back and being surprised that um, Mark VDS actually came home as close as they did but that's courtesy of three fourth place finishes so solid points in the first part of the season uh, second, at uh, a poor record, and then that that, that re- very emotional win indeed in their oh. last ever race um, at Estoril. Truth be told, on the performance that we saw this year from that team and the reliability at times otherwise from the BMW, I don't think that would have been a worthy championship winner. And that's because, actually, I think uh, the 60 Formula Racing team, not a team I knew a great deal about before the so, start so, of the so season. So,
1: let's, well, let's just put this right. So, Formula yep. Racing is not just another
2: offshoot of AF Corsa, then? Formula Racing, I think, is run by AF Corsa, but it's been the, the team has uh, been together uh, the driving squad has been together for some little while, and I think within that there's been one of the, the standout talents this year in European Le Mans Series. And I'm not going to name him now because he is going to be my pick at the end of the show. Oh, okay. Um, uh, the d- Formula Racing held on at the end, Johnny, um,
1: as you said before, a concerted effort from the EF uh, Corsa number 55 car. With, uh, I mean, ultimately the sixth, the fifth and sixth position, uh, fifth at Imola and sixth position at at Le Castellet was what really cost them a shot at the title but 63 points for the 55 car in third place 79 for the BMW uh, that came in second and just four points the gap at the end of the season uh, two wins uh, a fifth and a, th- a fifth to sixth and a third so i mean pretty good season from that formula racing team and uh, from their their driving talent who you know really um, if if we're talking about it, you know, you've mentioned we've mentioned some of the names from the other teams. Uh, in, in the case of, uh, of Formula, Formula Racing, Johnny Lawson, Mikhail Mack and Andra Rizzoli probably aren't the best-known drivers in in that category, in that championship.
0: They're far from household names, are they? You know, in comparison to some of the other people they were up against, Andy Prio came close with his teammate Jesse Crone... Uh... The Matt AF Griffin, course, yeah, yeah. Matt Griffin, obviously you Adam so Carroll, well, well known in the UK. Adam Carroll again, you know, even Alessandro massive.
1: Pergidi, You know, I mean, he's got a huge amount of experience. Yeah, and the Studio yeah. junior and, junior and Senior, uh, you know, partnership. Those are all names that people will be probably as well, if not more, familiar with than than the three that I mentioned for for for, uh, for the Formula Racing guys.
0: And I have to say, you know, the guys at AT Racing really put on a storm at Imola. It was just an absolutely stonking race within GTE, where with about three and a half hours gone in the race, the trajectories of all of those five teams just met at (laughs) Variante Alta. And you had five cars, pretty much, nose to tail for the last half an hour. And fair play to uh, AT Racing for winning that one, but it never really happened for them after that point. But yeah, the lesser-known names were kind of there virtually every race, three podiums through the year. Those back-to-back victories in Austria and Ricard really won the title for them, and it was a close-run thing in the end. Uh, it was arguably more comfortable for them after rounds three and four, but uh, just a four-points difference in the end between the 60 and the 52 squad.
1: At the end of the season, Graham, um we had that uh, news from TDS. Andy Priod drafted into that squad with uh, support from... Uh, IHG um, from the uh, from the the hotel group Intercontinental Hotel group um, a, motor, a BMW Motorsport blessed effort and the first time indeed that we had seen a GTE version of the Z4 anywhere outside of the States, it, it had all the ingredients, it, it just fell a little bit short, but clearly what we didn't know, or if we thought we did, we didn't know the extent of what was going on behind the scenes. Because sadly, at the end of the year, a quite extraordinary outburst on the, the uh, uh, on the Mark VDS uh, website from from its owner.
2: Indeed. Uh, I think you mixed up your T's and your V's. I I did, yes. Sorry, yes. It is Mark VDS in seconds, yes. Mark van der Straten making it clear that, um, well, I'm being very blunt. If uh, listeners haven't read that release, you can read it on various parts of the web, but uh, Mark van der Straten effectively saying that's it. He felt he had been let down by um, various parties to do with uh, the car racing side and would not go forward with it, but... um, it's sad to see that team go. They've added a great deal in GT racing, particularly in Europe, um, over recent years. Uh, but <laughs> it almost sounds cruel in the circumstances because you know what? It was a great way to finish mm. You know what's been a proud history for that team. Um, but that effort, for me, never hit the stride you expected it to do. Yeah. You're quite right to name-check uh, the drivers in that car, John. You're quite right to name-check the fact that it's a great team with BMW Motorsport's involvement there. But for me, there should really have been little doubt that with that kind of level of quality, we should have seen that car boss it and it didn't. And um, I, I, I genuinely do think, I think the points at the end just slightly flattered to see what was, you know, a, a season that will have disappointed, I think, everybody involved in it.
1: Bigger question, what now for BMW Motorsport in terms of this championship? Because... They all right. They, they've got a new uh, offering in FIA GT3 spec, being the um, uh, the M6 Alpina. Uh, that uh, particular car is fully homologated. Once again, though, the GTE side of things has been. Left hanging because they haven't homologated a GTE car in the state of the GT Le Mans car, which has all kinds of waivers from IMSA, but that's not an ACO approved car. So presumably we won't see that here. And the other question, the second part of that, Graham, is who is going to be the BMW Motorsport blessed team
2: if the even if there's a GT, even if there is a GTE car for them to run? Well, I think they 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 hung the colors to the GT3 mast without without a shadow of a doubt i think it's a it's a huge shame there is a vast legion again i've used that word for the second time in the show of people that would love to get behind a proper bmw motorsport efforts in top line endurance racing and they've not had that opportunity for too long and mm-hmm. uh, i think it's a mess i'll be honest with you you'd expect me to say that but you know what that's what i think is that i think if we did have any kind of prototype efforts uh, any kind of GTE factory-based efforts in Europe and at Le Mans, I think it would find a huge fan base, and uh, I'm here to say that I think it's a mistake on B- BMW's parts. Um, with with you know on that front, a slightly underwhelming response to the opportunity.
1: Mm. Interesting for me, if you. Look at the finishes that they had. In terms of their average finish, their average finish is a third. Yep. Um, if you look at the guys who won uh, 9, 10, 11, uh, 16, their average finish is just over third. Yep. Um, and yet they won the championship.
2: But uh, the problem is, John, that for third you get 15 points. Correct. And for a win you get 25. So the point but being Two, is two you... wins. They had yeah, two I mean, wins. It's, that's exactly it. I mean, Johnny's entirely right. In a five-race championship, you've got to score and score consistently. But if you have the opportunity to push for the win, then it makes sense to do so. And I think that's the point. There were races this year where it was blindingly obvious that BMW did not have that opportunity, whereas the Ferrari did. Mm. And that's what ultimately made the difference. And they did that not just because they've got a very strong car. We know all about the uh, Ferrari 458 uh, GTE's uh, career, an astonishing career it's been in international motorsports. Uh, but they did it with, uh, you know, I think, some kind of pretty undiscovered driving talent. A quick word, Johnny, if we may,
1: about the third-place team of Duncan Cameron, Matt Griffin and, and Aaron Scott. An average finish of fourth over the, over the season gives them third in the championship. A little way further back in the points, the fifth at Imola and the sixth at Le Castile at Ricard, uh, really hurting their championship chances. That's a solid team, a team that we've seen, particularly with Matt and Duncan, working together in the past. Aaron Scott, a good addition to that team and gaining some more experience for, for that British driver. And, I mean, not unfair to say that that was, was kind of being run as an adjunct to a, a British GT uh, campaign. And, you know, they they did a pretty good job.
0: A very good job, yeah. I think Aaron Scott was welcome to the fold and I expected him to be sort of somewhere between Griffin and Cameron's talent. That's what proved. But he he had some outstanding races. I seem to remember one, I can't remember exactly where it was now, but that car was put to the back of the grid and Aaron Scott drove to the front of the GT field, and it didn't take him very long to do it either. And then he I think that the was the Red well. Bull
1: ring. That, that was the best Bullring. finish of the season in second. I remember yeah. listening to you and Bruce commentating about that. I was away somewhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah phenomenal stuff and then you know he handed the car over to to his co-driver in a in a perfect position and they only lost out on the lead of that race i think with two or maybe even on the final lap two laps to go when uh, it all kind of came to a head at turn two and uh the car was spun around in the end um and it rejoined in second position so but they only lost out effectively there on seven points when you compare eighteen to twenty-five. Still, wouldn't have gotten a the title or anywhere mm. close to it. So mm. they can't just blame that one incident. But yeah, I mean, it's an extension of uh, a great relationship that was but was born in the British GT Championship. Duncan Cameron, I think, continues to get quicker. Namely, he's a, a businessman, a very successful one. But he gets yeah, and my and bad. Better.
1: He didn't do uh, he didn't do British GT. But as you see, that was it was born in the British GT Championship. That Absolutely relationship. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I just think it, it's, it's good to see what can be done with a good set of people and, uh, and a bit of determination. So, GT uh, champions then, Johnny Lawson, Mikel Mack and Andrea Rizzoli. And uh, again, Graham, I'll ask you about this. What do we know about next year for Formula Racing, uh, AF Corsa, Gulf Racing, AT Racing? Who are we going to see back
2: next year? And what of JMW Racing? Well, JMW certainly been looking for an opportunity to step up to the WEC. That's gone quite quiet. But I have zero doubt we're going to see uh, Jim McWhorter and his merry gang back again in international sports car racing. Whether or not it's in Europe or on the world stage remains to be seen. Um, the other name that we are most certainly going to be seeing for the full season is Beachstein. Uh, they will be there in uh, the ELMS with Andrew Howard's new. Uh, or new to him, the uh, Vantage GTE. That, by the way, is the same car, albeit with the uh, the 16 bits taken off, that uh, the pictures, the first pictures of the 2016 Aston Martin Vantage, because the second time in D motorsports history Andrew's bought the Aston Martin racing development car. Uh, so ooh, they'll ooh. certainly be there. I think we're going to see a bit of a reshuffle all round uh, with GTE. Uh, my guess is we might see a couple of teams stepping up from GT3 slash GTC. There's going to be a lot of Ferrari 458s yes. available. And we might. And that's I a think, good car. It's a well-proven it's a great car. car. It's still a fast car. It's a great car. car. You know, let's not forget, John, uh, if it weren't for a broken wheel in Bahrain, that would be a three-time World Championship winning car. True. Um and yet, the, the okay, it's an if, it's a but, so maybe. But I think, for me, when we, at some point in February, get to hear what the European Le Mans is going to deliver with full-season entry, uh, I wouldn't be remotely surprised to see an entry of five, and I wouldn't be remotely surprised to see an entry of ten. And I think it's all going to come down to who can get their ducks in a row and get those programmes together. It's a tricky, it's still a tricky time, particularly when you're dealing with a Pro-Am formula, which in the European Le Mans series, LMGTE, remember, it's not or Pro, but it runs to AM regulations. Yeah, um, But uh, it's a tricky time to actually find guys who are prepared to pony up that kind of money.
1: I do think it's an important category, uh, and I'll bring Johnny back in on this as well, and I'll tell you why, because it is one of the few places where non-professional drivers can go and drive a GTE car. Uh, in multi-class racing and win Uh, and win yeah yes Uh, and you know i think that first of all the experience level of a johnny is important but everybody likes to win there's no full pro category Uh, it gives the opportunity for some pros to get a bit of extra work and fitting in five or or six extra championship races is, is a good thing to do. But also, I just think, you know, we, some of the names we've been mentioning there, look at the, the confidence that they've been able to gain in their, in their driving career, if you will, as a non-pro driver. I think, I think it's essential that it's kept Pro-Am and it's kept in the championship.
0: Yeah, and we've mentioned Duncan Cameron. There are plenty of other people whose main career is away from motorsport, but they like to experience racing five, six, seven weekends a year, and they get to do that, you know, with not full commitment to a, I don't know, 20 weekend season or something like that. They also, though, get to, to partner someone who's very, very quick, and they can offer advice That's then, the um, so that you've got this. Um, Opportunity for information to go both ways, effectively, and there's the compromise to be struck as well between the the pro driver and then how the the non-pro likes their car set up. I also think it's it's a hotbed of new World Endurance Championship drivers potentially, because very recently at Bahrain we had Marco Mapelli stepping up, who's been in somewhat of a revolving door at Proton Competition, but a couple of rounds for the Italian with the 88 Porsche, Matteo Cressoni making the step up to the arguably higher level as well. So, you know, we look to the European Le Mans series to maybe find talent for the WEC in future years.
1: Uh, you're listening to Johnny Palmer, Graham Goodwin, the editor of DailySportsCar.com, and me, John Hindorf, as we look back on our RadioLamont.com uh, review of the 2015 uh, ELMS season. An addition to the championship this year was the new ACO category of Le Mans Prototype Three (LMP3), 3, and up until the end of the season, uh, that was the. Uh, Saul bailiwick of the Ginetta LMP3 car, a single Leisure GS P3 coming in at the end of the season for Graf Motorsport and coming in with a bang, claiming second position in the season finale at Estoril. Graham Goodwin first of all, and there's quite a lot to talk about about LMP3 here, but let's talk about the positive side of it and the start of the championship with uh, Lawrence Tomlinson's Ginetta Company adopting the formula early and getting the cars out for the first round at Silverstone, four cars out, extraordinary achievement to have done that, and for all of those four cars to have run pretty much faultlessly at Silverstone back in April.
2: It was five. It was, sorry, it was five It was five well, at first, first. The Lannan Racing car first. didn't
1: finish, you're right, absolutely. First sorry. things
2: first, it's not... Our way, your way, to pack yourselves on the back. But yeah, it was Brady Lamont that got the story first. Um this <laughs> ten to fifteen car commitment from Janetta. But ask which him twice they have delivered on. I and had to ask him twice because I thought I thought I'd misheard down the telephone line. Well okay, we'll come to the other side of that story, of course, a little later. But but to get five cars um in a brand new, completely unproven class. On track and remarkably reliable, actually. I think the Lannan car completed half distance. Johnny John, will correct me if I'm wrong. But all the other cars to the finish, I thought was a pretty remarkable achievement. Mm. And, you know, whatever has happened since, at some point, my advice to our friends, and they are our friends at the ACO, is that somebody should drop... Mr. Tomlinson, line and say thank you very much because that's launched a quite extraordinary success story at the moment with LMP3. And without that commitment, I don't think it would have happened. I really genuinely don't. So first things forward, first, that was a pretty extraordinary um, uh, achievement from the, the boys and the girls at Garforth in Yorkshire. In terms of the car, it took time to hit its stride. It was very, very new. It wasn't showing the kind of pace that uh, the design kind of uh, promised. Uh, The biggest wrong turn, by the way, uh, through to the mid-season was, there is no way that the car in its current spec, should ever have been the car that was taken to Watkins Glen for that IMSA test. Agreed. That was a massive mistake by all concerned, and they should have waited until the close season to take another look. And that probably has killed LMP3 for some time in North America. Uh, there are cars in North America, but they will be taking part in things like the NASA series and, and other racing rather than being part of the IMSA package. And I think that might ultimately prove to be a wrong turn. However... For the European Le Mans series, I guess, to be blunt, it was a story of ultimately three cars, arguably four. Uh, You can't get away from the fact that it's... uh, I mean, Imola and Johnny can talk a bit more about Imola because I wasn't there. It's the one that I missed. um, And about the events there where Team LNT basically melted down. But to be blunt, it was all about Team LNT for almost the whole of the season. And in particular, it was all about the number three car... Um, from LNT, and in particular, it was all about the speed of Charlie Robertson and the emerging skills of Sir Chris Hoy. Mm. Um, behind them, you know, we had a bit of a revolving door uh, at the in the number ten, uh, the number two car, but finally scoring a win in the final round for Getem and Mike Simpson. But uh, Team LNT, I think, did an extraordinary job if there's controversy attached to that, it's the fact that you've got two factory cars in what's meant to be a customer series. But putting that aside, because of course this was a proving year, the car by the time it finished the year was leagues different from what we saw at the start of the year. And that set up the opportunity for Jacques Nicolet, for others too, with the Odesse and uh, the Rally Ave, we haven't seen, and the Dome we haven't seen yet, to enter the marketplace. And I can tell you, um, I, came, I was at a Dunlop Test in Bahrain uh, on the Monday after the race, John, and confirmation from Jacques Nicolet, officially, for the first time, 30 cars sold. Oh, 30 the, the, cars sold for the Ligier.
1: 30 LMP3 cars? cars. LMP3 cars. Oh my goodness me. Uh, Of course, they won't all necessarily go into competition. There'll be some of those going to tractors and they'll be spread all over the world. But even so, that's interesting.
2: I I expect to see a grid next year because that's going to be the next question you ask me of 10 LMP3 cars. Wow. Johnny... Uh, just the
1: three for the full season, of course, but they did, I mean, they looked right, they sounded right. They, as Graham rightly said, they they got quicker through the 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 season as people uh, learned them. Um, a, a decent addition, and I mean, it was a learning season for everybody, but the, the racing at times was, was actually pretty impressive.
0: It was. Uh, I think the, your point about them sounding superb, you know, struck me on the first day I heard them going round, at Silverstone, first uh, weekend of the season, that 5-litre V8, unmistakable, uh, not quite the same as the Nissan that's run in the P2 cars, but uh, impressive numbers for a, a, a category straight out of the box, really. They look, the business, although as they were travelling around, I always thought it was sort of sagging a little bit in their mid-drift. but that uh, look of the car was refined through the year. They got more reliable as well, and uh, actually the reliability generally was pretty good, as you, the point you make, five cars started at Silverstone, and four of them finished. The other one did just about make uh, half distance. And, it, uh, you know, this championship's always needed a sort of class B within the prototype element of it. We've had Formula Le Mans, we've had prototype challenge, and LMP3 is the next iteration of that. And if what Graham says is correct, 10 cars next year, that mouthwatering mouth-watering stuff.
1: Uh, and... You know, again, you've mixed with these guys through the years. A very interest uh, through the season, very interesting uh, mix of people in the car. Sir Chris Hoy, obviously taking a lot of the headlines and a lot of the media interest, uh, the the non-automotive or motorsport major interest because of who he is. And this is a a genuine attempt by Sir Chris Hoy to have a second sporting career, isn't it, Johnny?
0: Oh, very much so, yes. And, uh, you know, it's not just the European Le Mans series that he does. He still competes in Radicals, in other championships as well. And I remember him having great success at the Red Bull ring only the weekend before ELMS went there. I think he took two wins then and then came back for another victory a week later. So, yeah, uh, he's as competitive as ever. He may be, um, you know maybe saying goodbye to his cycling career but this is now all of a sudden an opportunity for the engine behind him to take the strain Uh, but he's still got very much uh, so much pace and i think ably assisted by charlie robertson who is an unsung hero i've watched him since his janetta junior days uh, you know when he first started racing at maybe the age of 15 Uh, and we're not much further on from that and you know he's uh, another championship winner um very impressive stuff. Ironically,
1: and, and- of course, Johnny showing the uh, the benefit of Janetta being involved at all stage, because he's come up through juniors. He did. He certainly did G fifties. Did he do G fifty fives as well? I think he did,
0: didn't yeah, he? Came back for fifty five.
1: Yeah, because uh, I think he was in the the race. He was in the championship. The the, the couple of races that I did, and. It would be sad, would it not, to think that we might lose Jeanette from this LMP3 stepping stone because of, of whatever, clash of personalities, mm. business issues, you know, let's not go into that now. But that, that development ladder um, to bring you know youngsters from, what, 14, 15 years old onto the doorstep of a Le Mans career, that, that, that has worked very well.
0: We had a Genetta car at Le Mans only a few years ago. Was it Nigel Moore? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, he was another Genetta Junior starter. But yeah, Charlie Robertson, Genetta Junior champion in 2012. He then went on to do some single seaters in the BRD Senior Formula Four Championship. Got a third place in that in the championship. Then he was. GT4 Supercup, the ones you raced. He was the champion of that in yeah. 14, and is now another champion in the European Le Mans Series at LMP3 level. So that's three championships in four years. He's a real talent for the future, and as you say, one to blossom from the from the program in Leeds
1: kind enough to help me with my data as well. Uh, I don't think I was any threat to him whatsoever even with his uh, even with his kind uh, points guy Palatou, palatu the frenchman grim who's come up through the uh, nissan gt academy he looks the real deal as well michael simpson we know all about but nice to see some new names in there as well um, giving uh lmp3 prototype and aco rules racing um a little bit of a go and and that's exactly what this category is all about
2: yeah it it is and obviously it launched Getan as the one of the latest of the gt academy winners uh to an opportunity to get into an lmp2 car at le mans this year mm-hmm. uh by the way i think i'm right in saying that was his first ever race in france <laughs> which is quite astonishing, was the Le Mans 24 hours. Uh, But yeah, I mean, what we've seen are teams and drivers putting a toe in the water. And that's what this is about. This is about an aspiration to improve the craft, to improve your skill sets, to move uh, into and through LMP3, onwards and upwards, whether or not it takes you to GT racing, whether or not it takes you to LMP2 and beyond. And uh, I think it is a well-founded class. It's clearly found fans in terms of teams, drivers and owners beyond ACO rules racing. And and, what can you say? Anything that can produce the kind of production numbers. We're talking in terms of orders and production numbers, John, of something around 50 cars at the moment across the three manufacturers that have so far built them. Uh, by the way, we will see Janetta back. Uh, we won't see Team L&T back. There was only ever going to be a single um, season for the factory team, as I said, as part of the development curve. But London Racing have confirmed they should return with their Janetta. Um, and, you know, against them, we believe we're going to see an Ades or two. I think we're going to see a lot of Ligiers. Um, and I like, as you do, the the pressure that actually having competition in a marketplace brings now Agreed. okay we've got a, a standard uh nissan x-track powertrain but the fact that you've got no that's a, sensible, supplies,
1: that's a sensible that's yeah. uh, a sensible uh cost capping measure that will cap the cost and, it, and yeah. it means that there's no advantage to anybody uh trying to build super duper engines no. it's something that is a is a constant. The other thing I like, I'll be honest with you, Graham, they, they look like proper racing cars. they look oh, like they a, do. They look like they a do. scaled-down P1 car in a way that those of us who've got long memories, that C2 cars almost did, but not quite, because the the windscreens were just slightly out of perspective with the rest of the cars, but the little wheels on the C2 cars and the rest of the bodywork looked great, but always the big wind, windscreens made the glass area slightly too big. LMP3, for me are some of the best-looking prototype cars that are out there at the moment. I
2: think you're absolutely right. And I think the, the other thing I'd say about uh, about that, that marketplace is that it's, got, it's already got that reputation. I was actually reading just last week, playing catch-up with my teetering pile of magazines I've not got around to reading. <laughs> um, and I think it was Andrew Frankel in Motorsport Magazine, <laughs> test drove uh, Alicia, uh, Alicia A. genetta, A, his first-ever sports prototype that he'd ever driven, and, uh, and it's worth, anybody that uh, has got the opportunity to read back numbers or get their online version, worth having a look at that, because he comes up with some, some you know, I think very good conclusions from the point of view of a sort of driver with, you know, known talents and what that draws out of you. There is one refinement I'd like to see next year, John, mm. and that's around, and I'd be keen to hear, hear what uh, Johnny, I mean, I know I what you're going to say. You're going to say pit stops, aren't you? It yeah. is, yeah. And, and uh, you know, for the correct reason because we've got some fairly inexperienced teams at this end of the, the marketplace, we had these timed 2 minutes 30 pit stops uh, in LMP3. As the cars developed and got quicker, they were regularly able to deal with the GTE traffic. Um, and I just wonder what Johnny thinks about that.
1: Yeah, Johnny, 2 minutes 30 on a pit stop. Uh, it was mandatory, it was for safety reasons, but does it look a little too cautious now?
0: I think maybe now, yes, but it was difficult when you went into the season to just n- know where you were going to put that delta time, and it's better to err on the side of caution, isn't it? I see a lot of club racing where, you know, you have a pit stop that has to be a minimum time, and it it does take something away from the race because you know that the crews aren't going gung-ho to do the stop as quickly as they can. On the other hand, you've got to make sure all four wheels are correctly uh, connected to the car and the fuel's gone in safely. So I understand the reason for doing it, and maybe it's just a step to get to the point where we can either bring that time down or lose it completely.
2: Uh,
1: What, what going forward, Graham, is that, is there something that can be, we looked at even perhaps before we get to the start of the 2016 season on, on, on that point?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, it's a mold breaking class. Let's have a mold breaking way of actually approaching this because it's not just about drivers. It is about the teams, as Johnny quite rightly says. And if we have got a class of 10 cars, then let's start looking at those teams graduating through the ranks, even within LMP3. We have a prologue test. The teams have to be there. Why don't we? There's plenty of track time. There's plenty of of opportunity. Why don't they have some form of safety qualification during that test? And should you come through that safety qualification, then there's the opportunity for the organisers to say, well, okay, you can do a racing pit stop or even a minute. Even the 60 yeah. second pit stop, yeah. if that's what it took. Whereas other teams, they might have an opportunity, not Silverstone, it's a packed programme, but maybe at a later round to make that qualification. But for me, it should be about everybody progressing up through the ladder. And, you know, there are a number of steps that you can take with the classes, but what about a step within the class? Let's have the teams qualifying too. We love to talk about this, correctly, John, as being the true team sport. Mm. The team take part in this. It's not just about speed. It is, as Johnny absolutely correctly says, about safety too. So let's let them prove it.
0: Uh, I'd just uh, like to point out, by the way, that if anybody is looking for a pit crew to change tyres and whatever, Nick Damon and I are still the reigning Pit Stop Challenge that's true. winners from the Travel Destinations camps a few years ago. That's so, yeah, very true. You know, that so is that very mind. true. Uh,
1: on, on final point on LMP3, and, of course, congratulations to to Charlie Robertson and to Chris Hoy for, for taking the championship. Final point on LMP3, Johnny... Um, you know, a remarkable number of, of chassis out there, as, as Graham has mentioned, probably somewhere over 50. Uh, there is a an extra race next year within the championship, plus the Le Mans um, support race where GT3s uh, and uh, LMP3s will be out together on the Saturday morning. Surely no better reason for anyone to get into LMP3 racing than to have a chance of racing on the eight-and-a-half-mile circuit on race weekend. Now, they've been allowed at uh, the test day for a couple of years, and you've been allowed to qualify by uh, driving um, PC cars or GT uh, LMGT, excuse me, LM, I'll get this right in a moment, LMP3 cars. So the opportunity is is there, and is it is clearly going to be a great draw, isn't it?
0: Yeah, because I think the majority of the people that are entering into LMP3 have aspirations to get to Le Mans one yes, day. So, great. you know, you need to be able to show a p- potential team that you want to sign for to say, I've driven this track before. It's not in the main race, but I did do the support race in LMP3 yep. or, or gt 3 if you want to go that route as well. Um, and yeah, with so many cars out there, that's going to be a draw in itself. I think people want competition as well. And, you know, that was the good thing about turning up at Silverstone to know there were five cars out of the block. So you were going to have some sort of race Uh, that got steadily better through the year and next year could be even better. But I think the key things are having cars to race with. So, you know, you're going to be involved in some sort of battle, no no matter what level you're at. And then the potential to be at Le Mans next year as well on the Saturday morning.
1: Uh, it's Grim Goodwin, Johnny Palmer, and me, John Hindhoff, as we look back at the ELMS season for 2015. Welcome along to this special show. And we arrive at the top class, which in ELMS, of course, is LMP2. Now, there was all kinds of wailing and howling that the LMP2 as the top class would never work and it hadn't worked in the old iteration of the ELMS. Well, those days are over and for the past few seasons it's been abundantly clear to anyone who's taken a look at it that it does work. It's been great. The racing has been fantastic. 16 different cars have been entered throughout the season. Almost half of those were full season entrants. Okay, for the for the championship battle, it was really the top three cars uh, for the season uh, who uh, maybe count the the fourth one as well who were were in there. But certainly the top three had decent battles. But first of all, Johnny, a, a word about just the general standard uh, of racing there with uh, quite often uh, ten cars out uh, in uh, you know the, the entries up into double figures for for some of the rounds. Uh, it's 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 not huge and and clearly if we'd had 16 cars for the whole season it would be better but the racing on the whole once again was pretty
0: good very much so and, and you know i've forever been uh, banging the lmp2 drum let us not forget that when it all went a bit wrong in 2012 that was the year of the split when le mans series became world endurance championship and elms and it did take a full year for elms to get going in the right direction but i still think that can generate a, a wonderful race as have three teams have certainly proved we've had a team coming into the championship with a brand new chassis let us not forget and that started getting podiums before the end of the year af racing as they turned out to be they had several names through the year though murphy prototypes never really shone through the season they had a second place i remember at imola but otherwise a real difficult year but their orica 3 r had potential to go pretty quickly And then you had the bit part players like Pegasus Racing, um, some superb meetings for them, but again, couldn't sustain it across the full year. And then other teams that came in partway through, Algarve Pro Racing, uh, some teams that we lost partway through as well. So there were people that maybe didn't have the the finances to commit to the full year. The ones that did and did all five races are right up there in the championship.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a difficult time for anybody, Graham, in LMP2 because... Much documented on this channel and on Midweek Motorsport. There's a new set of regulations coming, and not all of the chassis that are out there, and and the um, and and none but one of the engines that are out there at the moment will be uh, eligible for the brave new world of LMP2 racing in 2017. And yet, we have still had variety with one, two, three. Four, five, I suppose six, with the different iterations of uh, Ligiers, Morgans and Oricas, um, along with the the Gibsons and the BR01, six different chassis. Out there, I want to talk about the BRO one because this is very interesting. SMP racing, AF racing uh, at various stages of the and season. Of course, actually, uh, yes, and indeed, AF of
2: but not with the BRO one. I mean, you we know, we talked a lot in the WC broadcast, John, that you and I and the guys have done. Um, about uh, Tequila Patron ESO and their season of variety, but perhaps missed here is that there's a team that's raced under three different names with two different cars <laughs> um, in five races. Yeah, um, with it, two It's different extraordinary... With two different tyres, as
1: Johnny P- pipes in. Uh, quite here, right. Isn't?
2: Absolutely right, Johnny. Well done. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk the... about
1: the BRO1 yep. be- because of the situation um, with the 27 regulations, the 2017 regulations. And... As Johnny rightly pointed out there, as he was talking about it, by the end of the season, the AF car got a second and a third. uh, Before that, SMP at Red Bull Ring had had a third with that car. Here's a car that has been built purely with the thought of of getting into this and the WEC Championship with the thought of making customer cars and for whom there is now no future. This is clearly a car that has competitive legs. It's obviously in its early days, Graham. But I, I feel a bit sad about that, if I'm honest.
2: Yeah, I, I, I entirely agree, agree with you. And, and um, we are going to see that car take a step up into the WEC, without a shadow of a doubt. Um. Better still, but perhaps strangely, they're building new cars to that uh, to that specification. There will be five chassis by the time we get to next year. Of course, at least one of those will be a spare chassis. But they are actively looking for customers in the LMS. The car will, of course, remain uh, eligible in the Asian Le Mans Series for another couple of years. Beyond that, and of course, uh,
1: it will be eligible here longer than it is in the WEC, which is the point yeah. I was I was trying to get to, Graham.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it's a shame because we like to see variety. And there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever i had a chance to have a very good look at that car. And it's it's a work of high quality, as you'd expect from Paolo Cantoni, who, lest we forget, and I think I'm right here, certainly Peugeot 908 is on his CV. Yeah. But I'm pretty certain that the original Courage chassis that now is, um, the, I think that's his as well. Ooh. I think that's his as well. I mean, extraordinary... Uh, body of work from Paolo Cantoni but even if you started and finished with the Peugeot 908 for for a, for a guy capable of producing a car that was an Audi beater and lest we forget we tend to focus a lot on Le Mans I know but you know, you and I John will remember and remember vividly um, just how many times Audi's rear end was handed to them by Peugeot yep. in 1000 kilometre races yes. so you know this is this is. I, I think it's one to watch they're very, very serious about it. I think you're going to see those cars racing in an extraordinarily different number of races next year. Certainly in the Rolex 24 Daytona, they're going to take a look at that. And my guess is there's a shadow plan to see whether or not something more in the States for you to talk about on IMSA Radio. Um, but ELMS, they, they tell me they have strong prospects for customers in the lms we know already that one of those that won't be going forward because he's told me that is greg murphy at Motor- Murphy prototypes he intends to stick with the faithful old orica um but in this championship you know, in the lms in that championship in the lms but um we may very well see uh, those bro ones and it will be the cars that we've seen this year because the new cars will be for their wec program uh back in the lms and i think that's a great thing uh, let's talk about some of the drivers in those
1: teams, uh, Johnny, if uh, if we may. And um, the Murphy prototype guys with the Orica and the Nissan, Michael Lyons, Natalia Berton and Mark Patterson, um, did all the races, but three retirements really, uh, not helping them in their championship uh, challenge. Um, but a decent team that seemed to gel quite well, no doubt, by the way, that Mark Patterson is a very, very good non-pro driver. Michael Lyons will drive anything, and some of his performances in uh, classic machinery is quite extraordinary. Uh, natalian and the interest there for a lot of people. One of the new breed of drivers coming from GP2, GP3, for whom sports car racing may be a larger part of their career than they might have first expected, Johnny.
0: Yeah, um, someone who maybe has hit a bit of a a buffer, perhaps, in single-seater racing and realised that there's plenty of work out there if you can drive a prototype quickly. I don't know whether he's given up entirely on GP2 and then potentially Formula 1 after that or whether, you know, sports cars is definitely the way he wants to go, but he's very, very quick. Uh, There was an issue at one of the races this year, though, where he had some kind of eye infection Mm. and uh, both Michael Lyons and uh the american who's mark uh, patterson no, mark patterson thank you sorry uh, were worried that they'd have to do this, the, the the one race just with the two of them and then nat was able to actually in the end get in the car uh for the final stint but mark patterson just i mean he threatens to retire every single year yes, and keeps does. going and, yes he does uh, he, he started some races on the front row and kept the car up there you know yes. there's no hint of it uh, fading at all he's able to mix it with some of the really quick people in this championship. And, uh, yeah, I mean, particularly impressive around Imola. So they've actually got a decent mixture of experience, speed... um blind faith sometimes Michael Lyons is just uh, he's a great guy to talk to and he's just as infl- as flamboyant in the car as he is uh, when you have a chat to him on the sidelines for, unfortunately for him he had a monster shunt at Ricard this year at the end of the Mistral straight I think that was down to something failing on mm. the car when they were in a good position and it was another retirement and sadly for Murphy this year retirements have been a, a constant theme
1: uh, just uh, not time to talk about everybody, unfortunately, Kieran. But I just want to to pick out uh, uh, a few other people: David Marcusov, uh Maurizio Mediani, and Nick Manassian. Uh, recently seen uh, in the car in the FIA WEC, but good to see. Uh, Nick Manassian, Markusov's an interesting character, and uh, he has Im- impressed me. Victor Shaitar was out in the championship as well. But I want to ask you about what of Crone Racing. Tracy Crone and Nick Johnson sixth in the drivers' championship, and their leisure GSP2. Well, the big man can get in it. It's run with the Judd 3.6 V8. Uh, where are they next year?
2: Uh, not a clue. I think is the honest answer. Yeah, I, I, and that's I've worrying, gone. isn't it? Yeah. One quick correction: it wasn't uh, Maurizio Mediani; it was Mikhail Alicia. Yes, sorry, uh, but the, the those I'm, yes, I'm, yeah, and worth mentioning, Aleutian, yeah, are because I think he's a man with a ser- with a serious future in sports. Well,
1: uh, he he's somebody I was going to talk about when we get to the next uh, the not next, because he was with Kirill Rad- Ladigin, wasn't he? But yes, yeah, sorry, that that car, uh, Marklasov Offen- and Manassian, yeah. um, with uh, Alelishin, who would come across. But the fact, Graham, that. That Tracy Crone, for whom this championship might have been put together like a very expensive bespoke suit, because there's a busy man who tried the WEC, didn't have the amount of time to travel the world and do three or four-day meetings, Um, however, for whom a two-day meeting and a four-hour race, five, six times a year, plus Le Mans, which, you know, for them all in Europe, travelling back to the States, can pretty much with the time zones get back, uh, if not the same day, certainly not far off it, to be at his his desk earning the money uh, on the Monday morning. This championship's made for him, and yet we don't know what he's doing, and, and that is a worry to me.
2: Uh yeah, I, I, I think that's Is that fine. the championship or is that just Tracy no, and no, the No, that's team? Tracy. I think that's just they right. have just got to make a decision on, on what, the, what the way forward is going to be. But it was a kind of quite stealthy run. I'll admit that, you know, when I sat down to write a preview for the final round at Estoril and looked at the points, it was kind of, they're fourth. You know, and in a championship yes, that's featured mm. a, up to 11 cars... Um, that was a surprise. Well, Estoril is
1: their worst race of the season, eighth position.
2: And, and, and in fairness, you, you, I'm afraid have to lay that at Tracy's feet because he had an absolutely awful opening, opening The race with jo- Johnny I didn't think... he spin two or three times in the first couple of laps?
0: He spun at the first corner. He spun at the second corner. I think. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't his finest hour, hour. It's fair to say. And then it was left to the other chaps to try and recover that situation. Otherwise, you know, I, I can't remember any massive accidents or. Um, no. Mistakes that Tracy made, and bear in mind. I think this was his full first full season in a prototype, having spent so many many years in that Ferrari.
1: Yeah, and he's he's I think 62 now, is he? He's you know that's he keeps himself fit. He's uh, he's certainly quite a bit older than me, and he's he's doing pretty well. Um, let's go up to fifth position in the chat. Let's hope we find out something about uh, them. Ten pla ten position. Ten points, rather, uh, better off. Uh, Mikhail Alushin and Kirill uh, Ladigin uh, in fifth position in the championship. Solid uh, from them, Johnny. I think is the uh, the fair the fair comment on them.
0: Yeah, um, you know, yeah. I think you have to take into account. We're talking about AF racing now. Or, uh, yes, you say? Yeah, uh, Elution and
1: Ladigan, uh, a couple of thirds, a second, a bad start to the season. Silverstone and Imola, two eighth positions, and and that really blunted any chance for the rest of the year.
0: Yes, um, and and the fact that they were changing the name of their team as well at certain points, yes. so they couldn't then add the same points that they had previously. The tyre change was a big issue. That's why they had to, ke- we think, that's why they had to change their name from SMP Racing to AF Racing to enable them to go on to arguably much better rubber for the BR01. As that second- and third-place uh, end of the season would prove but the number 37 car got a third place at uh, Red Bull Ring as well so the BR01 was a sight to behold really because you know it turned up they had to delay it initially the plan was to take it to Silverstone they had to delay that till Imola and then it was a question of how quickly they could go well you know the success really came towards the end of the season and that is uh, a real tribute to Paolo Cotone's designing expertise
1: yeah, I agree with that. Tristan Comedy came fourth in the Drivers' Championship, 66 points, so another 10 points uh, better off uh, sitting on his own in fourth position. The, the way that the, uh, the, the Drivers' Championship worked, his best uh, position a third at the Red Bull Ring, uh, sorry, a first at Imola and a second at the Red Bull Ring, a third at Silverstone. Uh, nothing at Estoril and a sixth at Le Castellet. Well, the relationship well, wasn't, wasn't with, um, at Estoril, was he? No, he wasn't. No. no.
0: The relationship with Tyrrell by TDS Racing went a little bit sour, I think, yes. didn't they? and they brought in Nicolas Lapierre. I don't think Gomis did anything particularly wrong, but I think no. he was blamed for the sixth place at Ricard.
2: Mm, I, th- that's I think interesting. The, the answer was that uh, it was made clear by the backer um, that something had to change and the reality was that that late in the season the only thing that could change was the professional in, in, the, in the seat and they wanted yeah. uh, an opportunity to see whether or not they could match the the relatively mm. better pace than the WEC of the other Orica 05, the KCMG car. Nick Lapierre had experience of that. Tristan didn't, but I think Tristan was one of the standout talents of the year. Mm, that's and, interesting. You know, I'm sure when you ask us about the moments, John, one of them that's going to be considered is I think Tristan Gomini's finest hour which didn't happen on track.
1: Mm. Uh, we'll come to that later on along with GT and prototype drivers of the year and the overall performance of the year from both uh, Johnny and Graham Goodwin, who are my guests as we look back on the e l m s season for two thousand fifteen, but now it's the top three in the championship uh, third position for Felipe Albuquerque, uh, Simon Dolan, Dolan, and Harry. Tinknell, 89 points. And it should be pointed out that the top three at the end of the season were separated by four points and at various place, uh, p- positions through the Estoril race, I think we had pretty much all of the three of them who uh, were leading the championship at one stage. It was quite a remarkable uh, final race. And uh, Johnny... It was it had been building to that for the whole season, hadn't it? And, you know, the the guys from Jota Sport, uh, you, you never count them out. Started the season solidly with a second a third. Their only race of the season at the Red Bull. Then a third and a first in the five races. Now, for most people, that would be a decent season. And yet, third place in the championship.
0: Yeah, and... I just cannot stop thinking about what happened in Ricard because they really shot themselves in the foot yes. by miscalculating how long Albuquerque was in the car. They won that race on the track mm-hmm. and you know that would have given them uh, 10 more points and they would have won the championship far more convincingly. But in the end, they were docked two positions. It was a third-place finish at Ricard and it all came down. It was great for us, for the spectators and commentators alike because we then had this battle involving three different teams and as you say, the yin and yang of the race meant that I think each of those squads at one point led the points championship. Mm. Cannot knock Jota's qualifying expertise, though, because remember, four of those 89 points came from being the quickest car on Sunday morning. Yeah, And good point. it wasn't always Tinknell in, in this case. I think Albuquerque got at least one, possibly yeah. two of those fastest laps to put it at the front of the grid.
1: Now, Graham, we've documented on Midweek Motorsport the fact that Jota uh, are looking at other ways of bringing driving talent through. Harry Tinkler, obviously, former single-seater driver and has been uh, through the hands of of Jota Racing. The, uh, what would I call it, partnership, I suppose, with, uh, with Arden is very interesting indeed. It won't be... The only names to come into LMP2 that we would normally associate with single-seater racing, even single-seater racing at the highest level Uh, and more of that. uh, I'm sure if you haven't already heard, you uh, uh, will have heard what we've been talking about recently on Midweek Motorsport. ultimately will simon dolan who you know is the driving force behind that team sam Higdon obviously for for jota but simon for the uh, the driving talent there will he be disappointed in the season will he feel that that's one that's got away from the from the
2: squad Three hundred percent, and he blames himself for almost all of it. I can tell you. Um, I think Simon has got a very sore rear end from kicking himself. Uh, but the, uh, the conversation—I actually, uh, I actually prompted the conversation by contacting Simon after Estoril and said, "Look, you know, he, he, for those that didn't see the race, the rain came. Simon leading the race and in good position for the title hit the." Uh, the kind of wet track first and took the uh, the Gibson into the gravel and that lost, the, effectively lost in the race there and then. Uh, he will not, uh, you know, he will blame himself for that, no doubt whatsoever. My view is, it could have been anybody, mm. uh, but uh, he sets himself the very highest, highest of standards. standards. Great. And in one regard and it's it's degrees here in one regard that sometimes can be simon's slight undoing because he is never satisfied with the extraordinary level to which he's developed as a silver driver he wants to be as close as he possibly can to the pro drivers and sometimes just sometimes that's the kind of area where you get a kind of percentage issue and a mistake might come out but uh i i uh, I'm in awe of what Simon as a gentleman driver has achieved uh, and continues to achieve. He will be back. I'm utterly delighted to be back. He'll be back in, in the Gibson, in the lMS next year. I can think genuinely, and I don't say this lightly of no team and no driver that deserves a title in this series more simply because of the way they approach it, what they brought to it, the standards of excellence, etc. Um, I look at that points table, and in truth, I can't believe the third. Yeah, I really can't. Well, and, you know, it's 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 it. They were that good this season. Well, wor- it was worst, just those couple yeah. of errors that actually got the better of them.
1: Worst finish to fourth. Um, yep. Second worst finish was two thirds, one of which is Johnny rightly documented was uh, for effectively uh, a miscalculation in process. Uh, in second place, just uh, two points better off, uh, Ludo Badi and. Pierre-Tirier, we've mentioned Tristan Gomadie being part of those through the first four rounds of the season. Joined by Nico Lapierre for one of two wins. Estoril, the final round, they'd also won at Imola. Um, but it was that result at Le Castelier, Johnny, that really, ultimately, I mean, it stands out when you're looking just starkly at the figures. Third, first, second, sixth. First. Uh, it just stands out like a sore thumb that sixth at Le Castellet.
0: Yeah, um absolutely that was a home race of course and mm-hmm. they were I remember speaking to them at the end of the Austrian round and hopes were high of really doing well in this championship, one that they've struggled to win over the last few years. they won it in the fateful twenty twelve year by the way, where yep. we didn't get uh anywhere close to the full five races we were expecting, and it ended uh, in America. But um, they came so close in 13 when Signutech won, in 14 when Signutech won, and they came so close once again within two points of it. But you have to look at that uh, that run at Paul Ricard that's been the one to, to really let them down. You know, For sixth position, you get eight points in comparison to 25, 18, 15 for first, second and third. You just cannot afford a result like that.
1: Well, and in point of fact, one more position, it would have looked very different at the end of the championship. Exactly. You know, yeah. it is on such fine margins. Or championships at this, even at this level, won and lost. Uh, ultimately, of course, we congratulate Gary Hirsch, Suisse, John Lancaster, and Bjorn Verdheimer. Truly, European, Swiss, British, and Scandinavian entry. Ninety-three points. Uh, start of the season brilliantly with a win. At Silverstone, as Johnny rightly said, in somewhat controversial circumstances with a very robust piece of overtaking by John Lancaster, which I'll say now, no disrespect to John, I said it at the time, I'll say it now, I think it was extraordinary that that didn't get called uh, by the stewards. Their bad patch was Imola and Red Bull Ring, Graham, two fourth positions there but then you know if you're going to win a championship you've got to be strong when it counts a win at le Castellet when some of their other competitors in the the shape of tds and jota were uh, not having their finest hour and did enough just at estoril with a second place to take it by two points uh, sum up the season then uh, for our championship winners
2: well um where do we start? Before we get into the LMS, by the way, I don't want us to go through this without recognising that the guy who often gets overlooked, Gary Hirsch, gave us, I think, one of the moments of the season, and that was at Le Mans, not the yep. LMS. Yeah. And uh, at some point, someone will write a book about some of the extraordinary goings-on in the background there. Uh, but Gary, um, an absolute sportsman, and I think he's, drove, he's driven beautifully throughout the season. So well done, Gary Hirsch. Um, Greaves Motorsport, what can you say? One of the best LMP2 uh, teams on the planet, without a shadow of a doubt. They will be worthy additions again to the WEC next season. We will see them back as well in the European Le Mans season. And in no small part, it's what those guys have done by way of car preparation and strategy that earned this title. Bjorn Vertheim, one of the nicest blokes in the in the, uh, in the the paddock. Uh, lovely fella. I think he would agree with me that I think his pace slightly underwhelmed this year. I think he's got better races in him than we saw from Bjorn Vertheim this year. He was quick enough, but I think he could have added some a little extra frisson to this that we didn't quite see. Hopefully he gets a chance to show me that I'm right and that he's got another tenth or two in him. And John Lancaster, the Gustavo Yakiman of the LMS.
1: Oh, that's um, harsh.
2: No. Um, what do I mean by that? John is otherworldly talented. One of the best drivers on that grid by a distance. Uh, what we saw um, in Silverstone was a performance where I think it was ill-judged. I think perhaps his um, his behaviour afterwards... And the body language you saw from John didn't do him any favours. He became a bit, as you said, um, about another series in another place, John, a bit of a pantomime villain. That stuck with him throughout the season. And that was unfortunate too. Um, I don't think that's him, Graham, if I'm honest. Well, I I think there's a degree of immaturity there, to be honest with you. And I mean that not in a cruel way. I think there's things he can do about that which will carry him forward. I would like to be able to be utterly fulsome in my praise of the of that effort season all season because they were very deserved winners at the end. They were a team of quality throughout, and it's exactly the same way as I said about uh, Jota Sports. Uh, But, you know, you always look, don't you, to those tenths, whether or not it's a tenth of a second on the timesheets or whether or not it's, you know, a difference between the way in which they approach the racing or, indeed, uh, out of the car. And it wouldn't be right to go forward and not comment on that. That said, congratulations to them. They managed to carry it through when others made the mistake, yep. when others had bad days, they had better days. Um, you know, We're not going to use the lucky word because I don't think it applies here. They nope. just plugged on. They never, ever, ever gave up. And that's how you win in endurance racing. I, I think that's
1: probably the, 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 the point that I would take away from this, Johnny, as well, that those two fourth places at Imola and the Red Bull Ring, after such a great start at Silverstone, they were then lagging behind just a little bit. They took the opportunity that was presented to them when TDS and Jota both had their issues at uh, Le Castellet, um, got the win there, and all of a sudden they were back in the championship. And at that point, you've almost got to completely change your mindset and go, guys, we can win this, we can win this, let's go out and do it. And they did they delivered at Estoril. Okay, they didn't win it, but they did what they had to do, and they delivered. And you know, that's what we kind of expect from Graves in the and the Mighty Forty One, isn't it?
0: It Almost became a one race season heading to Portugal. That's you know, a good I was point. so excited ahead of that uh, because we just didn't know whether it was going to be Greaves, Thierry, or Jota. And again, to sing Gary Hirsch's praises because he was one of the people who kept the car on the black stuff during that downpour that did account for mm-hmm. many others. Good and point. you know, he kept his head. He's he's another one that's progressed from prototype challenge racing with Paul Luc Chatin, I remember a few years ago, um, and being someone. You know, to look out for then. Well, he's well and truly blossomed now, and you know, gets Greaves another win at LMP2 level in the Le Mans Series, Stroke European Le Mans Series. I think it was 2011 that Greaves last won. Um, Bjorn Verdheim, you know, watched him a lot this year in Super GT. He seems to be able to lend himself to all sorts of different things. His background is in very thing, versatile. He, yeah, he, he's the reigning forever more international Formula Three thousand champion, I think. Because <laughs> that will never happen <laughs> did, again.
1: Did uh, Tim actually pay you to serve us? <laughs>
0: I just, I just know what he'll like by yeah. listening to this. And John Lancaster, he's a character I actually learnt to, to really like towards the end. I wasn't impressed with his behaviour necessarily at Silverstone, but I talked to him at Imola, and he said to me, listen, I'm here to win races, I'm not here to make friends, and if I don't <laughs> drive like that, then Greaves won't continue to phone me up and ask me to drive for them. You know, my career is on the line, and if there is a race there to be won, then I'm going to... Try my darndest to to get to the checkered flag first, and I quite like this sort of blasé attitude, whereby you know it doesn't really matter who he upsets along the way, as long as he gets the biggest trophy at the end of the race.
1: Not sure I quite agree with that. That's a bit like if there's a gap and I don't go for it, I'm not a racer. No, but the gap's got to be big enough in the first place. You haven't got to just steamroll your way through. That's never made anybody great and it was Ayrton Center, of course, that said that and I didn't agree with them then and I don't agree <laughs> with them now. Um, however, 93 points plays, 91 plays 89. You can't argue with that and Greaves are worthy champions again in the uh, European ACO Racing League if you will. The mighty 41 stands atop proudly the championship table and well done to Gary John and Bjorn Verdheim as well as everybody behind the scenes at Graves Racing not quite it though from our look back to the 2015 European Le Mans Series season here on Radiolemon.com. going to ask about drivers of the season they may come out the same because they've they they have not conferred during this they're not in the same place so let's go to Graham first for his GT driver of the two thousand and fifteen ELMS season, Grim.
2: I love a surprise. You know a bit we talked about all the drivers of quality. I love a surprise. I love a name that perhaps I don't know as much about as I'd like to. Consistently providing just just doling out the goods, Mikkel Mack. Right. In the championship winning Formula Racing Car. Uh, Every time I saw Mikkel Mack get aboard that car, he made a difference. And that for me is, and you'll see this as we go through the classes, um, uh, Mikel Mack, for me, driver okay. of the season. He won that title for Formula Racing.
1: Ooh, that's very good. In a team of, of uh, not very well-known drivers, as we said, Mikhail Mack is Graham Goodwin's GT driver of the season. GT driver of the season from our lead commentator on TV and radio for the series this year, Johnny Palmer.
0: Well, I have to say that uh, on my judgment, Michael Mac is a worthy winner because uh, both Graham and I have have gone for the same person. Really? Yeah. I. I mean, he's still relatively young, but he was a. I have to say, I didn't know a great deal about him heading into the European Le Mans Series. He hasn't got a wiki uh, entry, uh, I tell you. 20, Twenty-three years old. That's all, and has come back from a sort of single-seater background again. Done some Formula Ford racing, Formula Two as well. But you know, uh, now the second year, I think in. European Le Mans series rating. Um, and, yeah, he's he was the gold-registered driver. He was, I think, quickest on the average lap times when you compare the three together. Uh, ably supported by Johnny Larson and Andrea Rizzoli, but I think you know the two victories and the other good results that that team got through the year are testament to Michael Mac's talents.
1: OK. Uh, let's stay with Johnny then for the prototype driver of... The uh, could be LMP3, could be LMP2. Who have you gone for and why, Johnny?
0: Um, we talked a lot about this person, but I think that uh, it took him a little bit of time to to get used to the sportsmanship, perhaps of of sports car racing. But John Lancaster, for me, oh. he he entered the championship in an explosive fashion, but I think he he calmed that attitude a little bit, and you know some of those stints again to get Greaves. At the top of the, the championship table, were mightily impressive. Um, again, assisted by his co-drivers, but John Lancaster's been very impressive in terms of his raw pace all year.
1: I'll come back to you for uh, your performance of the uh, in a moment, Johnny. But
2: prototype driver of the year from Graham Goodwin. Well, you'll see. I've split my loyalties a little bit, oh. and you'll see why when we come to the next of uh, the next uh, next award, John. For me, it came down to two guys. Uh, I've mentioned. Uh, Gary Hirsch, he came very close because it is about making a difference. It's not just about Mm. the fastest guy, it's about making a difference and stacking up against your own opposition and the silver rankings. It's about Gary versus the rest and principally Simon Dolan. We had some epic battles between those two. I'm going to go for Charlie Robertson. Uh, Why? Because... You would never have expected, I think, before this year for someone coming into prototype racing, uh, racing for the same time in a brand-new class, in a brand-new car, with a brand-new teammate, with a huge media profile behind him. That's a good point. For one driver to dominate proceedings, and he did. And I think we, we've got a star in the offing yep. in young Charlie Robertson. So Charlie Robertson for Team LNT gets it for me. And for your performance of the year, Graham. Well, this is where I said I'd, uh, I'd split my loyalties. There were two there as well in my little shortlist. The one that's going to fall very slightly short, and I massively apologise because I bow in deference to their achievements, was the Janetta guys at Garforth uh, for getting those five cars to the grid very good. and launching LMP3. Honourable mention, yeah. They come just slightly short because of the drama that we saw in the press conference following Silverstone and if you haven't seen it it is still available on the web please watch it and my performance of the year is Tristan Gomendy at that press conference <laughs> yeah, it was good. Ext- it is by a distance i w- you know i hope i live to watch sports car racing for 20 30 years uh, i will never see a press conference with drama like that again i can guarantee it extraordinary stuff from tristan and from the other teams involved mm. after a dramatic race it didn't quit there and that my performance of the year was a classy Five minutes between Sam Smith, who was uh, was hosting the press conference, and Tristan Commentary. It was wonderful to watch. Don't miss it. Uh, and you, Johnny?
0: Um, I-, I want to just sing Leo Russell's. Phrases because oh, yes, he had an yes, absolutely yes. sublime stint to start the Ricard race. He started on the front row, on the front row, I think, but kept with the leaders pretty much all stint. And a silver graded driver. Again, I didn't know a great deal about him, or quite as good as he was. But he just falls short to Aaron Scott's brilliant run from the back of the field to the front of GTS in Austria. That was excellent stuff.
1: Yeah, and superbly uh, described by you and Bruce, who have done sterling work uh, throughout the season. Joddy, thank you very much for being the voice of the European Le Mans series this year and anchoring it for both TV and radio. The good news is that there's an extra four hours of racing in the championship next year. Plus, of course, that... Uh Champ- non-championship battle at Le Mans for the LMP3s and the GT3s as well, which I'm sure will get Johnny and or Bruce involved in during our coverage there as well. And, of course, uh, it's back at Silverstone as the first round once again coincides with the opener for the FIA World Endurance Championship. And Johnny will be there to cover it, as I hope will Bruce and as I hope will you as listening in or watching on on the TV. That was our look back at the 2015 European Le Mans Series season. What
0: a cracker. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production.
2: Tell your friends there's more at RadioLe